Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm Derek Riley, I'm with Charlie Smith, and welcome to Dirty Water, a hit of fruitless discourse where opinion is everything and facts rarely matter. The result may be banal or profound, pedestrian or intriguing. Whatever you think of us and of our swinging attitudes, we promise you'll never be bored. Today on Dirty Water, we've got a very special guest, an old friend of a dozen years or thereabouts. I fell in love, though I fell in love with his game in the French summer of 2000. He loves a hillbilly pop, a big chicken fried steak. He's the creator of surfles that will raise the hair on the back of your neck. He hates commies and he ain't afraid to call a spade a spade. Now, live from the den of his San Clemente replica of the Shadow de Versailles, the master shaper, the bear Jew, lost surfboards, Matt Mayhem Biolas. The thrill beyond measure to have you here, Matt. 30 years as a shaper is a dope stash I want to raise. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, I'm good, considering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell me, you know, how, how life has changed in the last six weeks. For me, it's been, you know, a golden epoch, you know, Chaz too. I work from home in isolation and now I've got people around me all day and internet traffic is through the roof. And we had almost 300,000 users the other day, enough of them hitting the little ads on the site to keep me and Chaz and James in golden threads. But you, on the other hand, have had to shutter your business at the behest of the commie bastard governor and your yeah. five lowers has been closed. So tell me, how are you feeling? I'm doing okay. Uh, physically, I was on a really good fitness trip for uh, quite a while. I was down below 200 pounds for the first time in 20 years and, and you know, doing everything right. And then once the once everything got shut down, I just said to hell with it. And I've just been drinking and eating and laying around like a lazy bum. Does it feel good? There's a certain, like, excessiveness gratification to it all, yeah. But in the long run, it's not going to help me. So what are you drinking, Matt? Pretty much, pretty much tequila, mostly tequila. I started out with the clear stuff, and now I've worked my way all the way to Anejo. But, and I just spray a little lime on them and drink them until I'm kind of like dizzy and ready to fall asleep. Usually fall asleep to an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And where do you, uh, I mean, where, where do you drink in the lounge room or you're out, outside a little fire pit? I haven't been doing the fire pit thing. No, I've been in the lounge room watching uh netflix and all that sort of stuff what, what are you watching i said curb my, uh right now i'm all curb your enthusiasm but it scared away my family so i sit on the couch and watch it alone no one else wants to put up with a bunch of middle-aged jews foul mouth screaming and yelling at each other just tequila drunk watching curb watching larry david yeah yeah perfect <laughs> what, what, what about unorthodox have you watched that what are you watching unorthodox and for people that don't know unorthodox is a uh, a four-part four-part netflix series about a a chick who escapes her ultra orthodox uh life in williamsburg in brooklyn no i have i'm not even aware of it my dad grew up in brooklyn though but he was never orthodox but yeah, he grew up in bensonhurst did you did you ever practice matt were you ever a practicing jew no, I never went to Hebrew school. I never got a, I never even got a bar mitzvah. I'm a terrible Jew. I just like the idea of it. Of being Jewish. Yeah. 
did you did you uh you didn't want to get your kids in you didn't know bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs mitzvahs for them no no my wife could care less about it she's more of an agnostic nihilist than i am is is she a jew no you didn't didn't want her to convert no, I have no passion for religion really. It's more about a race thing. It's more like tradition and history. Yeah. What's what's going what's going on in the background are you doing? Is someone smashing glasses? Muscle top. Yeah. My little blonde hair, blue-eyed Aryan family. Yeah, so, there, so, I don't know. so you don't what? have Jewish you don't have Jewish kids. No. Being Jewish. Well my son my son thinks he's Jewish, but he doesn't know what that means. I mean, but he's, unfortunately, you're going to have to break it to him that he's not. It all goes through the mother. You got nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. You could have been, you could have been part of uh, the chosen people. Is there anything else we can talk about? <laughs> you know, you want to talk about being not Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, hey, Matt, so, so tell us, you get a lot of flack online after telling people not to come and surf lowers if you didn't live there, saying the joint would be shuttered if the crowds didn't beat it. And it was prophetic, you know, it was closed. And you told one guy who criticized the closing of your biz, you can always simply unfollow me and go ride your ASIM in Cuba with the rest of the commies. And now over the years, you've expressed a deep dislike of wide-tailed killfishes and ASIMs. Now you make them. How come? No, you're wrong. You don't know me as well as you think you do. (laughs) No. Set me straight. What? Set me straight. I've never had a, a, I've never said a negative thing about ASIMs. I said that a lot of the, New age Instagram shapers doing ASIMs are overdoing it, and there's no real design or performance like accountability. It's just shock and awe. You know, it's basically arts and crafts. I've always loved ASIMs. You asked me to get ready to tell you about my five favorite boards of all time, and one of them's an ASIM that I made myself and surfed all the trendy Mendawai spots on in 2000. Uh, as far as wide-tail keeled fish, yeah, I've always, I just kind of took a step back and decided and said I wasn't going to get into that one. I'd let other people do it, guys with a passion for it. You know, when those kind of started popping and happening here in California, I just called Mark Richard and said, hey, there's a twin fin thing going on. I want to call the king of twin fins. Let's do a deal and make your twin fins. And that was really it. Because MR's twin fins are really high-performance twin fins. And, you know, Dennis Jarvis's twin fins too. They're a lot different to the, um, to the keels, huh? I didn't know Dennis Jarvis's twin fins. What is that? I mean, I know Dennis Jarvis, and he does all kinds of cool, creative stuff. But I don't really think about twin fins with him. Am I am I getting confused? Who was Potter Shaver? Was that uh, Spider Murphy? Spider, Spider Murphy. Sorry. Spider Murphy. Yeah. Sorry, I just for some reason Dennis Jarvis is in my uh, Instagram. Maybe you need a cocktail. You're off today. I know. Matt, but but it's also Matt. You're a real master of saying I don't know somebody who is totally well recognized just to th- throw somebody off their game. Taylor? You have had me say, I don't know that person, to my face, dead-faced, so many times of recognizable figures, which makes me check myself on what I know. I feel that's part, that's a real good card up your sleeve. Mm, I don't know. I'm really narrow and deep in a couple subjects, let's just say that. <laughs> hey, so at, uh, at Lowe's this morning, or maybe it was yesterday, um, there was a guy in a, uh, a mid-length at a Lowe's by himself. This morning. I saw that. that. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. So, so mid-lengths have become mid-lengths and longboards have become the uh, the face of the uh, modern surfer rebellion. What do you what do you think about mid-lengths? Um, I love them. I think they're a sweet transition. 
interesting in the middle age. I've been writing them the last couple of years. I've been battling with torn rotator cuffs and, and pinched nerves in my back. And yeah, I just decided to learn how to ride them. My first one, Tyler Warren made me one. And yeah, I just couldn't help it. I enjoyed how easy it was to catch waves and glide. And, but I couldn't just help but nitpick every single detail about it. So I went and kind of made my own. And I've been making them for about two years now, and, and I enjoy the hell out of them. What's, what, what do you officially call a mid-length? I mean, what's the size? I don't know if there is. I mean, certain people are, like, if you talk to Tudor, who I circulated a couple times last week. He freaks out about it. Yeah, he thinks this whole thing's just a bunch of ballyhoo, a bunch of buffoonery. But um, I don't know, a mid-length, I guess something, maybe a board that's, uh, you know, six inches to 18 inches taller than you are with a wide nose and low rocker, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of a... It's a vague thing. But you're, but you're into them, or you're into them personally? I'm into them personally, and, you know, we're offering them now. We, I like, you know, if I'm having fun with it, then I'm going to design them and try and make good ones for people like me to enjoy. So what's the, what's the lost mid-length model called? Is that, that's not the El Patron, is it? No, no, that's a high-performance big guy shortboard that I was writing, you know, two to four years ago a lot. Um, the... The Lost Midlinks, we did the Crowd Killer, which was kind of like a aggro kind of, it was basically a stretched out quiver killer. You know, we did it with a round tail and with a double wing swallow. Kind of like a modern rocker, concave, you know, a bit of a flip nose, the whole thing. Kind of a modern version of a, what are you, you're not paying attention, motherfucker. No, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of the Crowd Killer. Oh yeah, the Crowd Killer. So it's kind of like a, it's got like big old normal Lost and Mayhem logos, and it's just kind of like, it's kind of like a performance guy's mid-length. Not a cool kind of beautiful aesthetic mid-length, but it works, and you can really surf it. And then I went a little more like fashion and, and more glide and trim, and I made a, a one called the Smooth Operator, and that one's a really good board. I tested it out in like perfect, really good. Uh, What's that wave, that right-hand point in El Salvador? Punta Rocas. Oh, yeah, the right-hand point. Yeah, and that's more of like a, a board we do like with a tapered stringer and tint, and, you know, it comes with a single fin box and four quads. It's pretty similar to that one that Channel Islands just released, but we did it two years earlier. Ha-ha, <laughs> Devin. <Man. laughs> Devin Howard's fucking Yeah, Devin I like Howard. Devin. Devin and I are, we're internet buddies. I um, love What? Devin Howard is who keys me always into when somebody's stealthily paddling on lowers. I get a text. Yeah, we keep, yeah I, think I, I saw it on his feed this morning, the same way you did. Yeah. Um, and then um, we do another one that we call the Party Crasher, which is a little shorter, a little more kind of a blend of those two. And that one's really fun. We did a, we did a, we did some fun marketing with that one this year. So I'm enjoying them. My friends enjoy them. Hey, hey, so who, who is the midlength for? Sorry, Derek. No, no, you get a chance. You go. Who is the midlength for? Is it for the guy who can't surf, or is it a is it for a specific wave, or what's who should be riding midlength? Or my, I can only speak from my experience and for your me. Damn, your damn experience. You know everything about this. Is what kills me about you, Matt Biolis, is you know more about all of this than anyone tell people what they should be riding where they should be riding it. you're just building me up until you're gonna come and chop me off at the knees later in this little party of yours i, I can't how can i chop you off at the knees so um 
I think it's for guys kind of like myself who are, you know, facing dwindling skills and physical ability and frustrations with crowds and lackluster waves. And a 5'10 puddle jumper is not quite doing it anymore. You know, you can't, they just, they, they, they can float really good, but they still. Well, I think I lost you there, Matt. Chaz, you got audio of Matt? I don't. Matt, come back. What? Oh, you're I'm back. Here. Yeah, did you fall over? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you, were talking, you were talking about the mid-length and, um, and who it's for. You know, you know, you know he's part of the, the mid-length. What about in the future, because no one's doing it yet? I remember Wayne Dean used to ride boards. It must have been nine, there must have been nine sixes for the performance nine sixes. Yeah. He'd get every wave of Kira and every wave of Snapper, and he'd rip and do proper cutties and, and whatnot. Do you think that there's a, there's a market for the beyond mid-length, for the uber-length? Yeah. Right now, those are like, I mean, performance longboards are like the black sheep of surfing life right now. Everyone hates on anybody that's like pumping a longboard and trying to throw it up vertical and do anyone trying to surf a radical longboard, like the pro tour days, like that's just a big, you know, faux pas right now. It's just, no one likes that right now. It could be fun to ride. But Bedini's uh, boards weren't performance longboards. They were stretched out short boards. They're pretty much six O's stretched to nine six. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if you want to put the work in to develop and design something and re, you know, and write it and change it and tweak it, and I don't think I don't know if anyone's really putting that effort into something like that. Well, it's a it's a market segment. I'm surprised you're not onto it. You and, yeah. uh, and Mikey are. You just then called it a black sheep, Matt. What are you if not a black sheep? And I, I I'm just like most of these other. I mean, I've been longboarding and, and riding logs uh, almost exclusively the last two weeks. Uh, my two younger kids and they're surfing with all these young like 12 to 25 30 year old kids that are just really good at writing these logs unknown kids just local kids at the spot i grew up at and, um you know they're all just writing really flat rocker heavy trim and turn logs and i'm kind of of the same mindset if i see someone on a rockered out longboard trying to rip to me it's just ugly yucky ooh. So what's your uh, what's your go-to board? Yeah, considering you know no injuries or whatever, and it's three foot trestles or lowers. What are you going to ride? Uh, rocket. Right now I'm back on the rocket. The rocket redux. I, I have a six one and it's great. Yeah. What th- thirty eight liters? Yeah, forty. Yeah. Yeah. Forty. All right. All right. So 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 back to the, uh, the current scenario. The um, the commie lockdowns. <clears throat> you know, right now the capitalist West is on its knees. Our heads yep. on the block. Yeah. CCP's blades on our necks. Yeah, but Uncle Don's just printing money for us, so don't, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but it's thanks to the horrors of the, the Chinese wet markets and the obfuscation of the uh, faceless communist government. So I want you to tell me what you hate about communism and what you hate about socialism. Everything. Which includes... <laughs> I just think that people that work hard and are creative and want to do better for themselves should be able to do that unfettered by the government. And as long as we're following basic human rights and rules, there should be no intervening. I think that, I don't know. I don't want to really piss off anyone or affect anyone, but 
Are you kidding? There's politics. Ever, somebody is inevitably going to get pissed off. Yeah. Let her fly. Like I just said, I don't like anything about it. But are you, do you self-describe as anything? I mean, are you a libertarian? No. Are you, you're not a libertarian. No, apolitical. You're apolitical, but apolitical, mm -hmm. you're something. Yeah. Hey, you know something. what? You know what? What's his name? Um, I mean, Karl Marx, you read his stuff. His stuff is awesome, but it's never been put into practice in the right way. Ooh, so you're like a hardcore Marxian. I'm not a hardcore Marxian. I just, when you actually take the time to, even if you just read his really long page on Wikipedia, it's like, okay, this guy was one of the great minds of the last couple hundred years. So uh, what, what, did Cal, what did Karl Marx get right, you think? I can't remember. I just know when I read about him, I'm impressed. You know? But the problem is, is just the, uh, the people who really got behind him and put his ideas you know, off the totem pole, tried to build civilizations around them or infrastructures around it. They twisted it and torqued it and tweaked it and just uh, it's, it's never really worked. So you, so you don't think surplus factories should be collectivized and um, party apparatchiks should be sent in to control the production of um, surplus factories? I'm not smart enough to even know what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the communist idea of collectivization, which the, the Chinese did and the Russians did, where they got all the, in Russia, the, the kulaks, who are the, uh, the business or farmers, to leave their farms and, and be executed. And they'd send in, you know, party officials to run those farms and then they'd bust, not bust, but they'd send people to all these farms around Russia so they could all share in the, share in the wealth. Do you think that should happen in uh, Southern California and San Clemente, that the um, people like yourself and Timmy Patterson should all be shot and then um, maybe me and Chaz can come in and run your uh, surplus factories? That'd, that'd be communism at work. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a little bit of Pol Pot going on there. You like that? Yeah. You know, you're going to launch into a Dead Kennedy song for me? No, it's kind of, everyone's already done that. I have so many people have done their little Instagram posts with California Uberales playing. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> so I read yesterday uh, on another um, surfing website um, that said your criticism of authorities as commies was historically unmoored. Do you think you're historically unmoored? Unmoored? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a bit of a loose cannon. Sure, I, I shoot from the hip and say what I think and I feel at the moment. But you were pretty holstered before. For the last few years, you've been a very good boy. Have I? Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been so hard to get something fucking outrageous from me. Used to be used to shoot shoot your mouth off at everything. Oh, yeah, well, the golden years. The golden years. We all grow up, don't we? <laughs> oh, but this is but this is a that was a tragedy of um, you know extraordinary proportions the, tra the tragedy of maturity so, so what, what made you mature what made you mature at 45 mm, responsibility i mean how long can you fight the fight i mean you see 20 year old you know college students running around you know what are you rebelling against what do you got you know, but how many 50 year olds do you see doing that that could be you. jane fonda <laughs> but, she, but look at how good she still looks. Yeah, she's it's, 90. She's still doing it, right? She's like 90 and looks 40. She looks, she looks amazing. 
totally. Fountain yeah. of Youth right there. Rebellion. You know, you know who looks just like her? Like little mini Jane Fonda is Debbie Fletcher, Herbie's wife. Oh, uh, that's true, too. Dibs. Yeah. Maybe that's I mean, Debbie also dresses Dibby's like mouth's mom. more foul than, than Jane's. And dresses in full mummy to go walking. Yeah, full mummy. That's, a, that's one person in one company that never uh, went down the responsibility route. <laughs> they, never, they never went down there. Yeah, they're just great. They're like mom and dad. They're the best. Uh, hey, hey, so uh, Matt, this November, you're going to be voting for bad grandpa or uh, pinky Trump? I've never voted. I told you I'm apolitical. Oh, you didn't vote? I've never registered to vote in my life. What's that? Mm, they're all... They're all crooks and criminals on both sides. Who do you, um, who do you, would you prefer as president? Uh, bad Grandpa or, um, or Pinky Trump? Uh, bad Grandpa is literally, you nailed on the head. I think he's senile. I mean, the guy, he's got to be senile. I have a couple of smart friends who think they're just, they're running, they're using him to get it, to get the presidency because he's the only Democrat that everyone knows. And then as soon as they get in, as soon as he gets in, they'll announce that he's truly is senile or has uh, whatever that horrible disease is, Alzheimer's. And then they'll make his running mate president. So who's he picking for the running mate? Who yeah, who, who, who do you got for the running mate? Me? Yeah. I don't follow it that close. I'm too wrapped up in COVID-19 Wuhan heaven. <laughs> you don't care about COVID-19, Matt Violas. Oh, no, I care. Reveal today that it's a hoax. I revealed that? No, it was revealed today. Literally, they did a study on the 5,700 patients in New York who mm -hmm. are hospitalized. Yeah. Uh, it was over 50% had, uh, what was it, Derek? It was over 50%. I'm just, I'm just Googling it right now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not under this. I put it on it was, it, This was headline news today. <laughs> I got to read that thing. Uh, it, finally, it finally cracked. It was 57% obese. Uh, oh, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's, yes. Fat people. It's a fat people thing. Yes, forty-four. Fat and old motherfuckers. Forty-four percent of um heart, yeah, like uh, diabetes, yeah. high blood pressure. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Fat old with underlying heart conditions are the ones. Yeah. Nope, we're yeah. all fine. We cruise at home. We're yeah. what if, but what if we have underlying heart conditions? I'm so worried. I have an underlying heart condition. Yeah, now. all that coke that you've done, Derek. No, I didn't do coke. <laughs> <laughs> I was around it. <laughs> Yeah, but we're fine. We are all fine. If we get it, it's just like the same as getting spinal meningitis, where if we got it, it'd be a giant bummer and died from it. It'd be like, oh, oops. But there's no way to protect yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's going to flow through everyone at some point. They're not going to be able to stop sure. it. I mean, it's it'll be a bummer to some people, just like flu is a bummer to some people, just like a bunch of stuff. Just but like it's more than some. It's more than some people. It's, it's a lot of people. I don't know. In Italy, it's more than some, but not in here. York more, in New York, it's more than some. And not in Sweden. Quarantine and back open. Like schools yeah. open and everything in, in yeah, Sweden. Yeah, I read about that. Never I read back. that Sweden stuff on that. What is it? That head, no hedge news? That Sweden Zero guy? hedge. I love that you no read hedge. Zero Hedge. I, I just dabbled with it. There one, one went up recently. It was like an hour and a half read, but it, they're talking about how the the World Health Organization is funded by basically companies that make vaccines. And then the World Health Organization just tries to make a lot of noise and say vaccines are needed so they can create business for the companies that fund it. 
The Matt, this is the Matt Biolas I wanted right here. I like, I like, I like conspiracy <laughs> Biolas. <laughs> I was gonna wait for your dad, but yeah, don't, don't wait, don't wait for your dad, River. Daddy, daddy, busy. Daddy, busy drinking tequila and talking shit with his pals. Chop <laughs> out another line, daddy. He can't hear you. What's daddy doing? What's daddy doing there? <laughs> Daddy's having a heart attack, mommy. <laughs> hey Matt, do you have a um because you know everyone's you know everyone's dying in New York and, and Lombardy and Spain and shit from COVID. Do you have a fantasy death? Because my fantasy death is dying in a hail of jihadi bullets guarding my children, all on my back and shit, my children survive and daddy's a hero. Do you have a fantasy way of dying? I ain't in a hail of what? Bullets? Jihadist bullets? Jihadist so bullets. Yeah, so we're on a plane or in an airport or in a cinema or something, and in come the guys are there i have uh, a friend who actually i actually knew a guy in san clemente grew up kind of grew up with him his brother's still around surfer guy who actually died in a full major shootout from his house with pops out in front and just went down in flames in a blazing shootout with police officers no was, but not, was not jihadist though was he the uh was he the target i mean was he the one doing yeah 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 Exactly. Like he was in in his house, like raging. They went to get him, and he said, "No, he ain't getting me." He just went down, like, yeah. It seems a better way to go than um, sitting in a nursing home, just just counting down the days, or or Such catching the Wuhan flu in prison. Oh yeah, oh, I got it in the ass. I got COVID in the ass. I didn't know I could catch it that way. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, it was funny that you talk about your friend who died in the hell of cop I don't fantasize about my own death, though, Derek. I'm don't sorry. You? I fantasize I mean, about I, your death. I think about it I, <laughs> all the time, Matt. I think about the ways you die all the time. Really? The way I die or the way you die? No, I mean, I, I fantasize about the way I die. Yeah. What, I what, what sort of fantasies do you have, Chaz, for your death? To me, it's typically more banal than jihadi bullets. It's... Uh, Planes going down. Like, but of all the people I know, you're you probably the most likely to go down in a hail of jihad bullets. I mean, you're the one. They're my bros. I, I know used those to guys. visit places like that for fun. I'm the I'm the I'm the I'm the pro Zionist one, Matt. I'm the one who's going to die. Yeah. Oh, you love Jerusalem, I know. Well, no, I love Tel Aviv. Jerusalem can go to hell. Give it back to the Palestinians. Give it to the Jordanians. I don't care. Give me Tel Aviv. <laughs> I, like being calm when a plane's going down is the way that I feel good. Like laughing and telling jokes while we're plummeting into the ocean, I think is my, is my fantasy. What do you think, what do you think happens um, when you're in a plane crash and it hits the ground and you die? Do you feel a sudden warmth from the, um, from the flames or what's the, um, what's the, what's the manner of death in a plane crash? I mean, I, I imagine you black out, right? Like you hit terminal velocity or whatever and just black out. None of us are astronauts. I, I was going to say the same thing. You probably just black out like when you black out at a party or whatever. I don't think you do. I don't think it, um, I think it just falls at a regular rate. It takes about 20 minutes to go from cruising altitude, because I've studied this, to go from cruising altitude to hitting the ground. Because I remember when I was a kid, there was a 747 that lost, British Airways lost all four engines over Bali. And they, got, they got choked with volcanic ash. And it's funny now because planes won't fly into Bali if there's been a volcanic explosion. And they lost all four engines over Bali, and they're and they're coming coming back. And uh, I think they finally got over WA, and they lost all four engines. And they had I think half, twenty minutes or half an hour to get from cruising altitude to the to the Earth. And they finally got the engines started, got all the ash out of it by doing some fancy maneuvers. 
and the and the people survive, but the people are in the plane going ah, and then waiting a few minutes and going ah, because it just goes <laughs> on and on and on. How long can you say ah? Yeah. Exactly right. So uh, that that's my fantasy. But at the end, instead of surviving, we all die. But it was twenty minutes of a stand up. Like I was giving a real solid stand up routine in the plane. Oh, pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you've been a great audience. I won't see you next Tuesday night. <laughs> Hey man, as an as an American and as a business owner, tell me what what has Donald Trump got right and what has he what has he got wrong? I don't profess to know. I think what he I mean what he's got wrong is pretty easy. He just but maybe what he's got wrong is actually what he's got right. It's so he's such a manipulator. Um, he's he's an interesting study. I don't think we'll really know about him for a long time. That's a, that's a, like everyone having an opinion in the second. That's a good one, Matt. I like that. I like the hindsight because hindsight is always. Hindsight's so going to be really clear on this whole Wuhan flu thing. I'll tell you that. Sure. The, the history will figure like, it out. History will figure it out. And the people who just kind of stayed mellow and I think show respect for the, for the problem, you know, go along a bit, stay clean, protect your family whatever don't don't flaunt flaunt it and flout it and whatever but i mean show respect but you know you got to stay centrist you got to stay down the middle you can't i mean the fear-mongering and the extremeness it's just it's just over the top but at the same time i have friends who are like it's false it's a fake flu it's not real and i i just got too much respect for life to, to just say that as well where, so well, you know, we've spoken about communism, but where does capitalism fail, in your opinion? Mm, there's definitely failures. I mean, you got starvation and homelessness and all these things. And I think when you, it fails on such a large scale, you know, in the United States, where you have what three, four hundred million people, and uh, it's just really hard to take care of everyone. You know, you look at Canada, which is you know basically a 10 mile wide strip of land along the top of the United States. There's eight you know, people they, who live in Canada. Yeah, they can, they can, they can. Yeah, or even where you live, Derek, you know, um, Australia, it's, it's really easy to claim success with socialized medicine and all these sort of things. But you try and, you try and do it for 10 million people, the Canadians kind of figured a lot of stuff out, but the wealthy people still fly to the US to get surgeries. And, in the end, when you're trying to multiply that 10 times up to, you know, three, 400 million people, it's just, there's, there's gaps and there's problems. The homelessness is just getting rampant here, especially in Southern California where the weather's good and they, they kind of gravitate towards us. There, there's definitely problems with capitalism. But I not yeah, they put a homeless camp, you know, a few hundred yards from my house about a year ago and it took relentless protesting and they shut it down. They, the city built them a camp, like right here, like right outside the, right outside the little fire pit, you know, Derek? Oh, on the, then, um, on the eastern side of your house? Just across, yeah, just behind my house. They where all those, where those factories are? Above the factories, yeah. Jesus. It was crazy, it was crazy. You got a gun? Uh, hmm? You got a gun, have you got a gun? No, my dad died and my brother sold them all without telling me. Oh shit! Because Chaz has been thinking about buying a gun. Even his, even his wife is very left wing. 
She, she asked Chaz. Isn't that right, Chaz? Well, my, we grew, my grew up with guns. My brother and I, we, might, we grew up with guns. My dad taught us how to take them apart, clean them, shoot them, the whole deal. And my dad got sick and died recently. And my brother sold all the guns. And I didn't think that much of it. But uh, now is the first time in you know, my entire adult life I've thought, you know, it might be nice just to have a goddamn shotgun underneath the bed or something. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think you'd really pop some some hungry person coming to your door? I've watched enough war movies. I could pop someone. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Derek, no. could you could you pop someone with a shotty? Like they no, probably. I, I couldn't do it. I think if I held a shot, I've shot a shotgun before, and the fucking things just recoil so much, I'd probably pepper the roof with pellets, and the other mm. person would come and uh, strangle me to death. But. Um, <laughs> Matt, you spoke about having a shotgun. What, what would be your favorite gun? If you had to get one gun to protect your family, what would you have? One gun? Well, the greatest, the greatest gun ever made is that common AK-47. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful weapon. The AK-47 yeah. good on your map. Yeah, Kami's got, that, Kami's got that one right. Way better than the M16. Oh, jeez. How many people die with the M16? I know you can buy it. Oh my God! Did you watch the Ken Burns Vietnam film? That was, that was so harrowing. That, but so poor fucking the poor draftees holding their plastic guns in the jungle, yeah, just locking up and yeah, yeah. It's just, that is the most brutal ten hours you'll ever commit to. That movie. How about how good is it? It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, talking about communism, you know, but what's his name? Uh, Ho Chi Minh. I mean, how's the part where he's begging like Theodore Roosevelt or Calvin Coolidge, one of those guys in the 20s, to help Vietnam get their freedom? You know, it's just like it's just crazy. It's and the Americans, the Americans have helped in the early days against the French too. A few, uh, few airdrops. Yeah. Yeah. Old Castro's here trying to play ball. Castro? Castro hey, tried, to a, he tried to play baseball. Well, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows Castro loves baseball. I mean, that's, it's easy. Yeah, but no, he, he was a he was a semi pro in America. Yeah, 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 I know. Um, but what about what's his name, King Jung Il? I heard he's almost dying, right? He, what is, what would you call him? Is he a capital? Is he a not a capitalist? Is he a socialist or is he just a straight up fascist dictator? What is just he? A, just a straight up totalitarian dictator? But back to yeah. but, but back to guns. What about the the Schmeiser, the uh, the MP4 the Nazis had? That was the sexiest fuck gun. Yeah, 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 those were good. And, the, and, you know, and also the the, the, um, the mafia guns in the 30s, the Tommy gun, you know, with the, with the circular little cartridge hanging down, that thing. Was oh, the Al Capone gun. Yeah. yeah. And the folding stocks. How good would it be to have an MP4, the folding stock, someone comes to you, do it, just click the stock in there, like, just yeah, mowing those... down all the homeless people coming at you, dog. <laughs> get the fuck back. River, get behind me, dog. Yeah. It's an apocalypse. Shotguns are good, though. I mean, no one's going to pull out an AK-47, but shotguns are good because you can just kind of settle people down with those things. Especially if you put, like, you know, just, like, birdshot in them or even salt. When we were kids, we grew up around dairies, and the farmers would we'd go out and we'd be riding, like, dirt bikes and mini bikes on their dairies, and the farmers would come out and shoot us from 100 yards away with salt rock. They'd put, they'd put um, in their shotguns, they'd put, uh, not shells, but whatever you call it, cartridges filled with salt instead of pellets, and they'd shoot us with salt. What did that feel like? 
Yeah, I mean, I can't claim to have ever felt it, but that's what they used. Maybe they shoot it in the air. Speaking of ripping around on motorbikes, how good were the kids who poached the uh, uh, San Clemente sand skate park on motorbikes? Yeah, like what is it, Butterblade or something? I don't know who those kids are. They're from the Inland Empire. Yeah, but the the fact that Inland Empire kids saw the San Clemente skate park getting filled with sand and ripped down there and helped the skaters dig it out. Yeah, it's creative opportunist. I like it. Totally. I did too. I only... So, you know, my wife came up with that stunt, the way we did the photo shoot with the, the kid and his girlfriend with the towel and the umbrella and all that. And yeah. So, my wife... Well, it was actually my wife's idea. She didn't say, oh, you should do a photo shoot. And She's like, how funny it would be if we just went up there and, and laid our towels in the sand and kicked back. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. So, I actually called That's Ian really Crane and said, hey, we want to do a photo shoot. We want to make a beach party up there and do an Instagram thing just for fun. And he wouldn't do it. I was bummed. And he's a Jew, too. He should have more balls. Is he crying yeah. a Jew? Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. He should have more balls. So I was a little disappointed, but he does so many amazing, beautiful things that I don't hold against him. And so we grabbed one of the kids from my factory and his girlfriend. We sent him up there. We did the photo shoot, and it was a lot of fun. And then did you see Fox picked it up and put it on their homepage or their website? I did. Like, uh, that's, yeah. It was real good. Maybe. It was good, right? And yeah. now it's kind of like all over the place, like KTLA and all the local ABC, NBC News did little blurbs on it on their nightly news. So we were listening in, you know, in San Clemente, we, we did a full court press on the city council and all the lifeguards. And, and, and we did a full court press to get our, our beaches reopened. And I participated in a little bit of a smear campaign. But um one of the things was we listened late night. They had the meeting and they were about to do the vote. And you could hear them talking and hear and things are saying like, you know, we're the laughing stock of the nation right now. We need to get the sand out of that skate park. And so, they, just, they did it at the Venice skate park too, huh? Yeah, they did. That was that was kind of that was uh herd mentality there. They saw what we did and they did it. Wow. Holy shit. But the city council voted unanimously to reopen all the beaches and get the sand of the skate park. So the, the problem is, is San Diego's not open yet, and so all, it's just going to be a flood of San Diegans up there. I I have trouble believing a bunch of San Diegans are going to drive to surf our shitty little beach breaks. The the problem is there's no traffic. That's what you don't take into consideration. Is COVID years you can get up to San Clemente in like 20 minutes. You call it San Clemente, not K. You sound like a like a gay guy who's never been here before. <laughs> I mean, but I really have never embraced San Clemente. San well, Clemente. Yeah. I remember one time you wrote about it. You wrote about the like the Nationals, and you're like, I walked into Trestles, and it was Matt Biolis is the Sith Lord, and next to him is Kaloe and Dino, yeah. and Chris <laughs> Ward is Darth Vader, and Kaloe is Luke Skywalker. And I just pictured Star Wars as San Clemente. <laughs> yeah, San Clemente. San Clemente. <laughs> so, it's very classy, huh? San Clemente. So, Chaz, what's your, what's your beef with uh, San Clemente? I've never liked San Clemente, to be honest. Uh, I just, uh, just like I never liked North County San Diego before I lived here. But now I love it here. There's a lot of good things in North County San Diego. Uh, Orange County's got some good stuff. San Clemente's got nothing. What does it have, Matt Biolas? It's like a big, weird city. That's yeah, tricky dick. We got tricky dick. What is that? We got tricky I mean, besides dick. tricky dick. 
you got you got the Western White House. I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from that, give me Huntington Beach over San Clemente any day. Oh of the week. God, come on! You know what's just great about San Clemente <laughs> is for the most part there's no inland of San Clemente. I mean, the Talega is like a little you know a little alcove up the hill, but there's no inland. So we yeah, you, you want to know what inland is? Is stinking what? in Camp Middleton, you've got 150,000 Marines. How many Marines are really there? Inland. Are you exaggerating? How many Marines are really there? No, but it's got to be 30,000. But right? they're, they're a bunch of like beaten down 20 year old respectful kids. Like they don't, you don't even see them. They're invisible. But I, I'd rather have them than, than a bunch of like just inland, you know, just really like. Have you, you know, like grid gridlock of like, you know, Westminster, Garden Grove, freaking whatever, all the Huntington Beach, just it's just a massive gridlock in, in city streets all the way to the San Gabriel Mountains. I love what you call Westminster inland. Westminster to me as a kid would have been a dream beach community. I lived in Westminster. I went to my kindergarten first, second grade, maybe third. At Cecil B. DeMille Elementary School in Westminster, like, like a block away from Huntington Beach city limits. Yeah, but you're still basically Huntington adjacent. You're still, you were a beach kid. Not quite. You were coastal, no. you were coastal but, went, but how cool is it? I went to Cecil B. DeMille grade school. Do they I show his movies at the school? <laughs> I don't remember. But I mean, <laughs> who thought to make a name a grade school after a Why did they? Did he live in Westminster? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the reason why. I don't know. But it, it, it's on Wikipedia. They named it after him. The, the worst, do, you, do you know Stanton? Stanton, yeah. That's just a hell of a town. Yeah, yeah that, was, that, that was, I had an apartment in Stanton. It was literally the worst place I've ever lived in my life, was Stanton. Yeah. I think the guy that makes all of our lost stickers, like in the heyday of the early 2000s, I think that business was in Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Hey, hey Matt, so you're you're a very well-traveled man. <clears throat> I'd like you to tell me what the best country you've ever visited for lifestyle, for waves, it's been and so on. Like for me, I'm I'm a Hossigal kind of guy. That's my my favorite place for waves and climate. Where people Hossigal in France, little uh, yeah. little beach town, have big contests there every year. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> but tell me, what's what's the best country you've visited for lifestyle and waves? Okay, first of all, before I give you my answer, I'm gonna I'm gonna debut. I'm gonna say that Hossiger, the weather there's good three months a year. Besides that, it's a shit show. It's like the goddamn Blair Witch Project nine months out of the year. <laughs> and I don't like rushing around, having to time my surf sessions with an hour and a half of good tide and hope it works coincidentally with the wind. Um, I think the food in Hossiger is shit compared to all those beautiful little villages just south of there, like Saint Jean de Luz and Biarritz and, and Gittery and all that. So. I'm not really the biggest fan of Ossiger. Um, also, those beach rakes are a lot of work, and I'm kind of a lazy surfer. So that said, um, I will cheer you back up because, I mean, Australia is really kind of hard to beat for lifestyle, surf, weather, and the ability to make a living. Australia's Talk about commies, though. What? Talk about straight-up socialists. Yeah, I think you guys are – I think they're just kind of pussies. I don't think they're really – most of them don't even know what a socialist or a commie is. They're just kind of like, they're just like a flock of little, they're just like, eh, yeah. Mm. They, but, I mean, they wear the jackboot with the greatest of ease, but that jackboot is on 
and tied all the way to the top in Australia. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a tan jackboot as well. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny. The thing about Australia is that even though the European stock comes largely from um, you know early British settlers and and convicts and so on, and we always had this reputation of being um, anti-authority. Australians are the biggest rule followers on earth. Oh, you are. You're such rule followers. We're such fucking snitches with lowest of blow. Oh, yeah. And the whole, like, speeding. No, don't speed. Don't speed. Like, like you know, Southern California, we drive, like, freaking Andy Granite. We drive, like, race car drivers. You know? yeah, I, I just got a $207 fine for being five kilometers an hour, which is two yeah, miles an hour. You guys the drive so slow, and you're so worried about all these little things. But it... It works. It creates a comfortable little happy land. It's hard to beat. But I mean, I'm a Southern California guy. I think Southern California is the fucking dream. Yesterday, I snowboarded in knee deep powder, kind of wet powder. But I snowboarded most of the day yesterday, drove home and surfed. At my home break, and I learned to surf. Did you split or did you go baldy? It was a fucking baldy. Yeah, Yeah. so you you got your tea time. I grabbed, this, I grabbed my son. I got the 820 to 8.32 time. We were the first motherfuckers on the mountain. I did 12 laps, had a blast, got fresh tracks from that storm that hit three-foot storm two weeks ago. Hit a bunch of jumps, had a lot of fun, rode with a few friends, saw some buddies of mine that I've been snowboarding with for 30 years. Drove home, threw the surfboards on the car, went to the place where I learned how to surf, Dohini Beach, and went longboarding with my kid. California's hard to beat. It's a good day. It's a good day. We just got to get rid of these commie governors. Thank you, Gavin Newsom. Cuckold. <laughs> and, his little, and his auntie. And his auntie. Hey, Matt. Um, tell us, let's do a little bit of surfing. Whose surfing do you love to watch? Whose surfing do I love to watch? I like to watch anybody surfing good on my boards. Chaz Smith. <laughs> I, have, I think the biggest chip on your shoulders is that you are a bad surfer and that makes you pissed and that's why you like to fuck with all the surfers. No, I never expected to be a good surfer. Neither did I, but I'm just saying that's the biggest chip on your shoulder. But I didn't, I like, I don't, I never expected to be a good surfer. That's the thing. I don't give two shits about surfability. Well, then why I did just you... have a chip. A chip is fun. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think, Derek? Does he have a chip? Well, I, I can speak for myself. I don't have a chip, but I, I get terribly sad. I get terribly sad that I'm not um, advanced intermediate. I get so sad. Yeah, so you and I are kind of both in the same category. Yeah, just yeah. Um, very keen, but just fucking just didn't live close enough to the beach when we were all eight years old. And when you start at 12, you just, that curve just can never get quite high enough. Yeah, and we have wandering minds that are, that, you know, more, there's too many interests and just yeah, not the singularity it takes to become a really great surfer. But is is there one particular surfer? I, you know, I, I can't help. It. I love watching Reynolds more than anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, for someone who professes not to try, he looks like he tries so hard on waves. Mm-hmm. And I, I love seeing that, and his lines are just always a little bit skewed, a little bit different. And um, so he. Whenever he, I have anything, anytime I talk to or around or have interactions or work with or see about Dane Reynolds, it's like he's almost like the great lost. Uh, opportunity like it just seems like that guy and our brand and me and our lifestyles like our whole thing would we would have just been amazing together but um we, we that's, should, your, we, that's your big crush isn't it is what that's that's your big crush isn't it 
I would not say it's a crush. I don't, I didn't, I never even came to that summation until we did that thing in that little yellow room for Stab a few months ago in Hawaii. They were doing that little TV show out of that. Well, that was, a, that was a great little connection you guys had there. It's like when you're out yeah. with a girlfriend and she's suddenly talking to some dude and that you just know they're going to leave together. It was, it was yeah. watching that going, fucking hell, these, these guys are on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, tell me, about, tell me about the time you tried to get John John and how Stab had made John Pizel. No, I never tried to get John John. Yes, you did. You know, no, you didn't. Didn't. and a no, man who made, made Johnny so sad. No, not at all. And John and Paisel knows this. Um, no, that was um, that was Garth Tarlow, who's like the longest-standing employee of O'Neill, at least down here in Southern California. Been marketing for O'Neill for twenty-five years, maybe at least 20, more than twenty. And he's and John was, you know not quite as advanced in his business and shaping and everything is in the early 2000s and we were kind of already up and running and kind of a proven entity you know and 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 what's his name garth tarlow said hey dude we got to get john on some boards we got to make sure he's got the best boards possible he's coming to california for nationals we got to make sure he's got the best stuff we need to make him some noise so I did, you know, Garth asked me to make him some boards. I made the kids some boards and wrote them here and there a little bit. And that was that. We never pursued him. I never had, never had a conversation with his mom and, and rarely had any sort of a conversation with John except for lighthearted, yo, what's up? Sorry. No, that's really not boring. boring at all, but just, just Johnny, just so sad to this day. It just was, was a knife through the heart. <laughs> no, I don't think so. What about uh, what about brother? What about Kalohi Andino? He must have people must have been trying to shapers must have been trying to woo him away from you for years. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, not too much. I've been fortunate. You know, Dino's Dino's been uh, pretty focused and, and he stays the course. Uh, yeah, Darren. Uh, what's it? Darren Handley. Darren made. Some boys last year, and it was a really cool project. And I think we all learned a bit from it. Did you pick the boards up and point out all, everything that was wrong with them? <laughs> no, that's not my style. No. <laughs> I actually pointed out. I pointed out the thing. What I did was I pointed out the things that were unique and different to what we were doing, and and explained to him that we could use some of that and see how it goes. Yeah. Did you did you know did you know Darren Hanley when he was beautiful? Because when, no, when, when I first moved to the Gold Coast, he was the most beautiful man in town. And there used to be a photograph of him at the local hair salon with, with his beautiful golden hair swept over his fucking hair and everyone would try to get Darren Hanley haircuts. Actually, was that the, is that your big gray, uh, not gray hand, uh, great Dane, huh? Yeah, he's still kicking. He's eight years old. He's still going good. Yeah. They don't live long, do they? No. Uh, he, you're right. He is gray now. <laughs> now I met Derek in 98 when I went there with Beshin and Shay and Corey for, uh, for a contest at Burley. Burley heads. Yeah. Um, funny, it's funny because Darren stays out of the limelight a bit, but he's a, um, he's an incredibly charismatic man. He's a good surfer and uh, he's, he's got a lot to say, huh? Yeah, I like him. Always like him. What about uh, making boards for someone like Gabrielle? Is that ever, um, you know, would that thrill you to make a board for Gabrielle? I make boards for him a couple of times throughout his career. But yeah, I mean, right now it's just, 
we just focus. You know, we have a really good team and really good relationships with the guys. And Ooh, I think Kelly, I think Kelly's going off in the background, mate. Someone's copping it. Yeah, I think that's one of my daughters. Yeah, I got three daughters. They all sound like Kelly at this point. See, uh, um, see, uh, yeah, Gabby. I made we made boards for Gabby like a year ago. You know, his shaper Johnny is one of my really good friends. He used to be the lost shaper for Brazil for a lot of years, and we worked together at Pukas off and on for a decade. He was the lost shaper in Europe. Um, Johnny's awesome. He's an unheralded, really skilled and focused guy. Gabriel's rad. I mean, he's um, he's probably the most diverse surfer. You know, he's he's a badass. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Johnny because I think Johnny. I've had a couple of boards from Johnny. I think he's one of the most underrated shapers of boards that I've. Uh, I've yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. He's like a Brazilian Timmy Patterson. Yeah, so, and it's funny because Timmy has Italo and uh, and Johnny has uh, Gabriel. Yeah. Um, just moving on to you know Lost. There's a misconception about you that you're loaded, and but your road to relative security wasn't paved with gold. You know, Lost came close to the brink a few times. Yeah, and oh yeah. At one point, you know, after you sold your license to um, the third party to make the, the clothing, you're so driven mad by the direction they took that you um, sold your dream house at Cotton's to buy it back. And, you know, and like, and like most small business, business guys, you've thrown the dice, you've worked hard, you've networked, you've mortgaged the farm and spent plenty of nights, you know, haunted by the specter of ruination. So, mm. so, so tell me, why was loss so important that you sold your dream house? And also, can you describe it for me? Because I, I believe that was a, a mini Chateau de Versailles. Yeah, it wasn't really a dream house. It was just a, it was what we thought was our dream, my wife and I. Um, we never really loved the house. We were constantly working on it and tweaking it to get it to something that we would love. And then when the, the GFC happened and our apparel license said, we're done, we're not going to keep paying you guys royalties, we... Uh, I just said, screw this. I'm not going to be a slave to this place and shape surfboards and all day just to pay a giant mortgage. So we sold it um, and licked our wounds and moved, moved back to the home that we bought for ourselves 10 years earlier. And we're, and we're there now. So, yeah, it's just make, make good decisions so you're not a slave to, uh, to your responsibilities. Yeah. So... Um, you know, the reason I like your boards is because they're easy to ride. Um, do you think it's because A, you surf a lot and B, at that kind of high intermediate level, do you think, that, do you think that's the reason that makes your designs accessible to the uh, average surfer? I think that that's the most important thing you've said in the last 35 minutes. <laughs> that's been a lot of shit. I just think that that's the, really the reason that who I am and what I am. It's just that it's... it's I'm, I'm a, I, I approach shaping from a, from a, a working man's or, a, you know, an average Joe mentality, uh, but do it at a very high level. You, know, uh, you talk about Darren Handley and, and Maurice Cole and a lot of these guys, they were world-class surfers before they were shapers. And, and the list goes on and on and on and on, um, where I, I wasn't. And I just think that I've always had a little bit of a, a dirty connection to the average guy who walks into the store and pays full price for a surfboard. If a board works for me, whether it was 25-year-old me or 35-year-old me or now 50-year-old me, it's, it's a pretty safe bet it's going to work for, for that guy. So what, what do average surfers get wrong in their boards that you see? You know, how do you correct that in your shapes? I think it's almost 
for years and years and years and years, it was always undervolumed and too high performance. And now I think guys are making mistakes in the opposite direction. They're like, they're slaves to volume calculators and slaves to, oh, if I just keep going thicker and thicker and thicker, I'm going to be able to catch waves. And it's, it's, they're riding corks that they can't submerge the rail into the water. And they're riding, you know, do you, you ever try to paddle a boogie board? You know, no matter how thick it is, it still doesn't paddle still doesn't glide or track forward. You have to have swim fins to propel it through the water. So I think um, guys now are trying to like say, oh, I still ride a 6.0, but it's 20 and a half by two and seven eighths. And the thing is like shaped like a football and it doesn't have any drive and you can't sink the rail in the water. And it's just like a, it's just like a, if you take, catch a fish and cut its tail off, throw it back in the water and watch it try to swim. It's got no propulsion. It's got no glide. So, so it's almost like, just recently, I feel this thing where I look at custom orders I get. I think a lot of guys are almost like now making the opposite mistake that got us to this point, which was under volume, too much rocker, too high performance, of course. Because there is an obsession with uh, the, the leader number, huh? The lead, yeah, you don't want to be a slave to the leader. Hey, if I get a, a smooth operator, a 6'6 six, six mid-length, what should the volume be? I go, if you're getting a mid-length, don't even think about the goddamn volume. Throw, it all, throw everything you thought about volume out the window because you're basically cutting your board open down across the center and sticking another foot in the middle of it. You know, just like, just get off that mindset. What would you make for uh, what would you make for Chaz? Because I think Chaz has asked you this before, <laughs> and you and you always tell him that he used to tell you. Chaz, Chaz is a party crasher kind of guy. Yeah. Party crasher. I look yeah, at yeah, you know. Yeah, like you, Pat, you've been crashing the whole surfing industry party. That's your, that's your MO. That's your career. You're a party crasher. But what should I ride? I think you should ride a party crasher because I think it's, it's a little bit longer. It's thicker. It's wider. It's got a fairly relaxed rocker. It's, you're a thin guy, and it's got kind of a V deck with lower rails, so you can kind of permeate the surface. And it's got enough rocker and kick in the tail where – I picture you as kind of like spastic kind of jerky attempts at making turns and the board's going to keep the speed and allow you to do quick snappy turns and kind of feel good about yourself. What about specific dimensions? Cause Chaz is probably six, three and 180 pounds. Yeah, so, I would uh, go like six, four, six, four to six, six, maybe six, four, 20 and a half, two and five, eight. Yeah. All tinted, a real nice color with a nice team. Nice pink, nice, nice. Uh, no, you're pink. Chaz isn't pink. Chaz is like maybe, you know, maybe blue or something. What, what, what about me, Matt? What are you gonna make? What, what you made a lot of boards to me. What I've been waiting for that for my entire life, right there. Though. I know you have. Chaz, Chaz has been waiting for those actual dimensions for about the last ten years. Literally, mm -hmm. this is it. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. But tell me, Matt, what, what, what should I be riding? I'll be riding your five sixes and your five. Yeah, but you've been on the bottom feeder forever, right? Still on the bottom. Didn't you order another bottom feeder recently? No, that was a, a thinned out puddle jumper. Because you, right. you did me a five, six puddle jumper. It wasn't those high volume things. It was two and a quarter. Yeah, did I remade that recently, didn't I? No, I sent you the email, but you never replied. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that must have been when I was, when I swore allegiance to Sam and said I wouldn't play with you anymore. Oh, that's right. You told us to put Chaz on a leash and you could still advertise with us. <laughs> we said, fuck. Yeah. Chaz is a I, think, I think Sam is the most important person in surfing right now. Hush your mouth. Hush your mouth, my boss. <laughs> you know we're going to cut that shit out. 
That's okay. You're still the, the you're still the smartest guy. In surfing. You, you're the most. You're the you completely single-handedly changed surf journalism. Okay, we can leave that bit in. That's okay. <laughs> you better leave the damn party in too. <laughs> Oh yeah, tell me uh, what, because actually at the moment, the board I've been writing all the time has been a uh, 6.0 DFK Johnny Cabianca. And that thing has been transformative to... to you, you're that. writing one of those? You're writing a performance shortboard? Yeah, because it doesn't feel like a performance shortboard. That's the thing with Johnny's boards. Yeah. They, they feel really similar to your boards. Yeah. That they're really easy to ride. And, the, and there is a slightly forward wide point. There's a little bit of thickness under the chest, but it isn't, yeah. it isn't really obvious like other boards. Yeah, and you take off, and there's speed under your feet. Even when your feet are all fucking wrong, even the, even when your front foot is up at the nose, and your back foot's where your front foot should be. Yeah, you can still kind of pilot it, you know. So say I'm riding a um, a six o um, DFK, and when I'm when it's really small, I'll ride that um, thinned out uh, five six puddle jumper. Yeah, what would you shape me as a as a good semi performance board? Mm. There's a lot of options, but I think uh, when was the last time you rode a rocket? Did you ever like a rocket? Yeah, I remember once I bought a, um, when you had those blue rockets, what was that? Oh. Was that was some sort of EPS thing, wasn't it? I think I had a five, six rocket. Oh, the um, the Bufos. Yeah. Did you have a Bufo? I'm not sure it was a Bufo, but it was some, it was some EPS thing, but it was blue. That was what, Bufo. Was it Bufo? Yeah, Hydro, Hydroflex. Hydroflex, that's what it was. What the fuck is Hydroflex? Yeah, those were high density blue Dow foam that would then they'd shoot they would like 3D glassing, they'd like high pressure shoot fiberglass shards into the foam to anchor the fiberglass wrap so it didn't go laminate. That was a good that was a good board that one. Actually, they were good boards. The early one. ones were really good. They were made at the Volkswagen. They were made at the in Volksburg, like yeah. Volkswagen. The Volksburg. It had something to do with Volkswagen. Yeah, they were amazing. The first ones that came from Germany. So they were, they were, they were great those boards. And then and then you sent me a um what was the ones that were kind of like Coca-Cola and they were carbon? A Viso. Yeah, like, I never did a rocket in a Viso. No, I got a I got a round nose fish in uh, a Viso. Yeah. But tell me, uh, just just while I got you, dimensions. I'm um five eleven, so 180 centimeters and a and a weigh uh, 80 kilos, which is about, about 180 pounds. Yeah. What? Tell me, tell me dimensions. What what dimensions on that rocket should I get? Five eight, nineteen and a half, two and three eight. Yeah. So what's that? Twenty nine liters. Mm, yeah. Not that. Not that latest matters. But <laughs> it's a fourth dimension. It, it it helps you triangulate closer to where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Matt. So tell me, um, we're going to wrap this up with the five best boards you've ever ridden. So actually, I'll, I'll get Chaz to go first, then I'll go. Five best or five most important? Uh, oh, fuck. Because yeah. I don't want to say the boards that I rode in 1988, when I rode one of those boards with the best, but if I looked at it now, it looks like it was shaped with a chainsaw and a half. You know. Okay, yeah, so give me the five most important boards, five most transformative boards you've ever ridden. Okay, what does Chaz have to do with it? Yeah, what do you got, Chaz? I got, I got uh, number five. Uh, a Xanadu potato chip. I can't even remember, but I got a full Xanadu potato chip in 1994 that, yeah, I couldn't surf it to save my life, but it looked really cool. I thought it was <laughs> uh, uh, Number four, uh, Barry Vandermeulen. Yeah, Barry uh, Vandermeulen. He's awesome. Yeah, 
exactly. Uh, it was a six four. Took it to he shaped boards for to go to Somalia, and mm. it was actually super fun. Mm. It was like a six four. I just went and looked at the dimensions. It was six four eighteen and seven eight something. It sounds yeah. emaciated, like a Somalian. It was. It was exactly. <laughs> it was. It was. But it was painted red, red, white, and blue. So it was America. Man, uh, all favorite board of all time. It's probably actually my number one. I just wanted to put it at three to hurt Matt's feelings. But uh, the uh, bottom feeder, stinking bottom hmm. feeder, so good. It was five, yeah, five eight. And you, you're kind, you kind of are a bottom feeder. I mean, it was so. It, I still have it. I still surf it. It's okay. thing is like beat to hell, and I still surf it. Uh, JC Rocket. What was JC's Rocket? Was it a Rocket Gem? I don't know. JC did a rocket. Then that was the board I took to Yemen. Uh, mm -hmm. 6-2, high performance shortboard, but that thing was... Is there anyone high. in the world that'll talk about their favorite boards and mention Somalia and Yemen? Those are the only places that people like me are allowed to surf. Allowed to catch waves, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I'm riding a, an album twin fin right now. I don't even know what the game's on it, but it's... Do you like Matt Parker? Matt uh, We've had a bit of a... I'm sure he's, yeah. oh. he's, he's pretty fantastic but the uh his boards i really really love his i'm on a 20 right now but his he's, he's stuck with it he's come a long way and yeah he's got a he's got a great eye for sure for, for style and visuals and fashion he's a, he's a designer there's no doubt well that's fine all Derek? right man I'm, I'm gonna go through mine so um I guess I guess at number five, I didn't really want to put this in uh, in a list, but um, five boards that were transformative for me. S sometime in the nineties, I had a six-two Weber. Back when everything I had was six-two by eighteen and five-eighths by two and five-sixteenths, and it, uh, it was sprayed by Marty Worthington, the the famous uh, artist from uh, from Narrabeen, who did Terry Fitz boards, and it had Bart Simpson with an axe slicing someone's head open. And when I was, and I was living around Burley and I was working at Burley and I thought I'd, you know, obviously very, very wrong, but I thought I'd mastered surfing. I thought I'd perfected surfing on this surfboard. So, so that was a great board. And then I moved to France and then I went to the Pucas factory and got uh, that five, nine um, Brian Bulkley shaped uh, lost round nose fish. And that was around 2000. And I remember um, I was riding it and I thought, fuck, it just doesn't go. But then someone said, get rid of the three fins and have two big fins in the trailer. And that was transformative to be able to take off at my level of surfing, go super fast. You know, it was one of those things where you can kind of hoax your surfing to girls and to, to other people around. You can look better than you actually are. So that was, that was, that changed my life. Uh, but interest, interestingly, and you've, you've seen the board, but it's um, compared to the round nose fishes of now, it's actually pretty narrow. Kind of gunny, yeah. Yeah, and super, super pulled in tail. Yeah. Uh, and then third, there was a there was this weird little epoxy uber blank uber plank of yours. That you, yeah. gave, you gave it to you, pulled it out of the rack, and you fucking gave it to me. You still love this. And I looked at it, holy fuck! It looked like a mini mouth, and I didn't surf it for ages, and it was light and shit, and it was so ugly. But then, Does it want uh, the butt tail? Uh, no, I, I think it had a squash tail. Diamond tail. Or... It was no. an uber plank. It wasn't a plank. No, it wasn't a plank. Because I remember ordering a plank afterwards. Because I thought it was a plank. And then this round nose thing came, and what the fuck is this? And I sold it straight away. <laughs> but the Uber plane kind of had a pointy nose, and yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. And I rode it everywhere. It was super light, and I, and I took it to Fiji, rode it to Cloud Break, and, wow. and I loved it. But it was so ugly that I didn't touch it for ages. 
Um, and then the second board is the, um, the thinned out uh, five six puddle jumper that you made for me. And it's funny because I've looked at so many puddle jumpers on racks and other people have them and they're really thick. But this one was super, super thin, but really like insanely wide. And you pretty much can't ride it in waves bigger than two foot. Yeah. But in, in those, you know, one to two foot, it's, it's untouchable. And uh, yeah, and right now is the, uh, the 6.0 Kavianka DFK. You know, and, and I love it because it's high five, but it has an easy rocker, you know, the slightly wide point is forgiving. And I know that if I can't do shit on it, it's not the board's fault because it's, it's exactly the same dimensions as Gabriel Medina. So when mm. I ride it- I was gonna guess that earlier. I go, it's probably the same dims as his, like 19, 2.44 2. or something. And that, was, and that was totally coincidental. I just said, one of these dimensions, and he goes, oh, the same as Gabriel. I thought, fuck, I'm gonna have no excuses. So when I ride it, I take the surfboard out of the equation now and that everything I do wrong is purely my own technique or lack of technique. Or the waves. Yeah, all the waves, it's generally me. But yeah, Matt, tell me, tell me your five transformative surfboards. Okay, you know, when you asked me to be ready for this, I was like, okay, I really would like to say some other shapers boards. And I couldn't really come up with much on that because I was 17 and I started building boards and I was a horrible surfer at the time. Um, but there's the first board that really changed my life was, uh, it's, I have this board today. It's a, it's a nine, six or 10 foot. I haven't even measured it, but I got the board back. Chuck Dent, 1966 Chuck Dent. Oh, yeah. Was, it, was Chuck it was, Dent a Hanukkah shaper? He was, but he was originally from, um, Seal Beach. And this board says Chuck Dent Seal Beach on it. And it's That's a board that I've, when I was learning how to surf and kind of lit getting the surf lifestyle at Doheny because we had a boat in the harbor there in Dana Point. You know, um, I was riding like typical hand-me-down shitty shortboards every day. And, but there was a really good crew of dirtbag longboarders and loggers there. And one of the guys who was kind of a really cool badass, his name was Butt Rash. And he got, he said he had to go to jail because he couldn't afford to pay a fine. And he left me the board. He goes, keep it safe. And I kept it in the shipyard on the Doheny boneyard there. And I surfed it all summer. And I think it's the, really the board that I was 15 and it changed me from like, just like a kooky neon 80s, like, like wannabe surfer trying to be a surf, bad surfer guy to like understanding what really kind of surf culture and like riding waves and the glide and no leash and learning how to not fall and not do stupid shit and control myself and control my body. And it was like a really big change in my life. And but I didn't see that. I gave the board back from him when he got out of prison. Or J it was just like, whatever, like work camp. And I didn't, that was probably 84, 85. And I saw it at the BSR Surf Resort, standing in a corner last year, 35 years, 34 years later. The owner of BSR asked his um, assistant to buy some longboards online to decorate with. And one of them happened to be my board. The actual board? And I, the exact fucking surfboard, the board, my board. And I got it back. Um, I got it, he gave it back to me. Uh, so that board right there, there's no doubt. Um, second really important board for me is the first 510 round nose fish I made myself um, in 96. I made myself a, it might've been 95, but in 96, in the spring of 96, I took it to Durban the first time I ever went to do an international license. And it was Jordy Smith's dad who bought me a ticket and said, we want to do your lost surfboards in Durban, in Japan. In, uh, Dude, in high Africa. voice, isn't he? Yeah, in Africa. 
And I flew over and all I did is throw um, my 510 twin fin round nose fish in the back in a, in a single board bag. And I surfed it at New Pier with the whole like Durban cartel, like up and coming pros and rat surfers and old shapers and Spider Murphy. And Spider Murphy is one guy saying, hey, you're a big bloke, but that thing looks like it's really going for you. I haven't seen a board like that since we made them in the 80s like that. And that board was the first board where like, I'm like, as being a, a just barely an average surfer at the time, you know, and, and just starved, foam starved and emaciated by the trend of surfboards. You know, I'm making myself six three by 18 and three quarters by two and three eighths. That's really handshaped and it's probably two and a quarter by the time I'm done sanding it and just bogging and struggling and have to surf glassy head high waves in the morning or else I'm fucked. And when I finally made myself around those fish in like 95, it was like, oh my God, it can be easy. It was like 5'10", 20 inches wide, two and five eighths or so thick, big, thick rails. And it was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Surfing so much easier. What have I been doing to myself? So that's two. And then the, another one that came to mind is an eight foot, eight foot two hand-shaped, gnarly, big old giant, ultra mega pintail gun that I made for Corey and Shea Lopez's dad, the year they had the Garagigan G-Land WCP event. Uh, I think it was maybe 97, maybe 98. I think, I think Luke Egan won it. And I made it for Corey and Shea's dad. He was probably 50 at the time, um, maybe, maybe even a little younger. And he took it, and he probably rode a few ways on it, and he brought it back and left it in San Clemente. And then I took it to Hawaii that fall to go shape. I was shaping at um, the Mazo factory, which is the local motion. We gave local motion the rights to distribute our boards in Hawaii. And I stayed at Freddy land with Shay and Corey for a few weeks that winter. And every day I took that board out and served sunset. I served six foot, eight foot, 10 foot. I don't know, big sunset, 29 years old, surf, 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 sunset all the time. They were all laughing at me. You gonna go surf some slopes today, Matt? You going out to catch some slopes? They're surfing pipelines, blah, 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 all these different spots. I just surf sunset every day. And it was like the most consistent surfing I ever, most I ever surfed, you know, double, triple, quadruple overhead surf in my life to this day still. And then that same board, I took it home. And later that winter, I surfed um, this big Mexican point break on it, giant big barrels. It looks like Honolulu Bay with a longer wall. And um, got some, we went down there three days in a week and got a bunch of really good waves. And all the best surfers in California at the time were out and surfing, riding six fours, six sixes, six eights, maybe six tens. And I'm on an eight out. And I got some amazing big wave barrels. And that board really kind of like, that was 20, a little over 20 years ago. And I don't think I've ever really surfed as many solid waves as I did that winter. Um, since and that board is in the rafters in my garage and it's just like okay at least i went out and tried and i did it and i switched some big waves and dropped some barrels and and did it so that board is important fair enough what's that three this is three or three or four three it's three yeah um and then one of, i think my favorite performance shortboard was around 2000 and it was an asymmetrical shortboard i made like six four and it was like 20 inches wide. It's the first time I ever went 20 inches wide on a shortboard. 
and I took it to the Mentawise on a really Mentawise trip. And it had a diamond tail on the toe and a round pin on the heel. And we surfed so many good waves. We surfed that board at small lances, perfect macaronis, rags rights, and some funky, fun, unnamed waves. And that board just still sticks out of my head as one of the best boards I ever rode. And it has a lot of Greg Weber in it. It has a lot of influence because I was working with Greg Weber at the time. He was doing our boards in Australia and I was doing his boards in the States. And that board's also in my rafters. And that board is just, I don't know, just popped out of my head as a really special board. It's funny because 20 inches wide is, this, is a psychological barrier. Because I remember um, seeing one of Margo's boards, Brendan Margeson, mm-hmm. six four by 20 by two and a half. I've yeah. never seen a board that was 20 inches wide before. It was shocking. Yeah. And he was the best surfer in the world at the time. Yeah, there was no one could touch him. It's going, oh, fuck, is that the secret? I see him at Cabarito all the time, him and his kid. Yeah. Do, you um, that, do you love that his kid, Micah, surfs pretty much the same? He's yeah, we tried to make him to do something worse with him. I don't know where it went. But, um, like, but, uh, and then I think the really, the last board that comes to mind is a stock puddle jumper that I grabbed out of our warehouse with like the standard blue fade on the rails and the matching blue dot, 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 lost logo. It's like a, it's like a 511, a 60 stock puddle jumper. And I swear, like waist high to chest high lowers for like a season and a half, I could do no wrong on that surfboard. That was maybe four or five, six years ago. It was like maybe the, just one of the best boards I've ever had. Do you have, um, this is a question, do you have a couple of different warehouses? Because uh, is there a warehouse for your seconds boards and a warehouse for yeah, your... Yeah, uh, it's just next door. Because I, I reckon I always get shown to your uh, seconds warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> my my yeah. <laughs> business partner, Mike Riola, when, yeah. he was, when he used to cover his bills, all the boards are kind of a little bit brown and they're all a bit, the decals yeah. are a little bit off. And, they'd never, oh, yeah. and I remember once pulling out a um, Uber driver. When, oh, yeah, because we're giving you boards to pay for ads. He's taking you to the blend room for sure. He's not going to give you any good inventory. So what's that room called? The blend room? Blend or Do you call it the team room? It's where all the team trade-ins are. All the, all the, I knew yeah. it. He's a bad, 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 bad man. Some of the shit I brought home. Ooh-wee. Yeah. Once, <laughs> I, think, I think once accidentally there were some new Uber drivers in there. I'm going, fuck, look at these things. Can I get, can I get these? And Mike's going, no, 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 no. They're for, you know, Kalohi Andino. Uh, <laughs> Ian Crane and someone. Yeah. Ian Crane loves the Uber driver. You'd like an Uber driver. Well, I'd love an Uber driver, but uh, Mike, Mike Riola wouldn't let me fucking do it. He wants to give you some old, like, uh, four-fin shark or some model that they were stuck with from four years ago. I always thought, I always thought your boards were um, sprayed this kind of beige yellow until I realized it was going <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, that's, so we're just going to sign out. So I want you to tell me, where do you see the world and, or, you know, so where do you see surfing and the world in five years' time? Are we going to be commies? Are we going to be free? And are we still going to be under the, um, the content-producing um, WSL? I think there's going to be, I think government's only getting bigger, unfortunately. That's a pessimistic view. So I think we're going to lean more and more commie. Um, and I think the commies are forcing that on us. And it's funny, in this last hour we've been talking, you've been very brazenly anti-Chinese and, and, and kind of talking to me directly. But, you know, over the last few weeks, you're like 
you sounded very arrogant, not arrogant, but very confident and brazen about the commie conspiracy which coming out of China created this. But talking to you now, you're kind of like down the middle and, and just sort of your typical inquisitive self. But I think that the commies might have like kind of seeded this whole thing to make us a little more commie. And what's happening is our government's closing us all down and then they're going to prop us all up and give us all this loans and free money. So they're basically forcing us to be more subservient and more of a welfare state. And it's going to take a few years to dig ourselves out of it. Do you think there's going to be a, um, you know, because as, as America fades into the sunset and there's going to be, uh, you know, a vacuum for the world power? And, and I don't think America is going to fade into the sunset. You don't think so? Oh, yeah. She's done. She's done, Matt. She's a wrap. Is he? Yeah. Well, that's so a good thing because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a citizen of the world, and I believe that the more you travel, the more you understand that it is a global market and it is a global society. And, and honestly, my biggest, my biggest worry and my biggest uh, un hurriedness, I don't know the better word for it, anticipation, is when in the hell am I going to be able to get on an airplane and start flying around the world again? Because that's really all I want to do. I want to go visit. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go back to the Basque country. I want to go back to Indo. I want to go back to Japan. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And I want to embrace all these communities and cultures and surf and snow and all these amazing, fun people that I've developed relationships over the last thirty-something years. And fifty percent of my business is outside of the U.S. So you know, passionately, business-wise, fun, biz, games, you name it. I want to get out and be amongst the world. And that's my biggest worry and apprehension is I'm going to get shackled to just being Mr. San Clemente for too long a time. Matthew Bowers, thank you for your time. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Matt. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.